We've been doing this series through the book of First John. John, thank you, First John, for many months, and we just crossed the halfway mark, so we at least have a couple months left over, but um, it's been a really tremendous blessing for my soul, and our desire is very simple with this book. It's to glorify God's great name, and it's to benefit us as, as his people, because God has designed it that way, and I believe First John is going to do that continually as we go through it, and hopefully you've seen that very, very easily. It's kind of the method of the entire Word of God, actually. So today's lesson is going to be called The Spiritual War, Part 1. The next text that I was looking at was, was pretty lengthy, and I didn't think I could handle it in one lesson. So we're going to break it up into two lessons. Today we're going to look at simply two verses. If you remember last week, we left off the last verse of chapter 3, 324. And we're going to go into chapter 4 today, but only one verse. So we're going to look at two verses today. The last verse in chapter 3 and the first verse of chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can make your way over there. The spiritual war from 1 John 3 and 4 today. Before we get there, though, do you believe you can spot a tourist? Yes. Those who have lived here a long time. You think you can? Yes. Yeah. What do they call tourists? People that don't live in the North Country. What do they call them? Flatlanders. Now, I live in the North Country. I am a New Hampshire citizen. I have a driver's license. I have a license plate. I have a home. Okay, and people still call me a flatlander, and that's offensive to me because I, what's that? I'm what? I'm an implant. I'm an implant. You guys just keep making up the rules, don't you? So I asked someone, when will I become a true North Countryman? Countryman, and they said, never. It hurts my feelings. But you guys said you think you can spot a tourist, and I'm going to give you ten ways on how you spot a flatlander. And I'm gonna give you from my perspective, because I haven't been here that long. I, what, again, how do you become a true North Countryman? Do you have to be born on Mount, Mount Washington? Is that it? So you're born on the summit you're in, and otherwise you're not? So, oh, you have to see a moose. Oh, one of these days. One of these days I'll graduate. 10 ways how you spot a flatlander. Number one, normal looking calf muscles. That's right. People who really belong to the North Country, ever seen Popeye's arms? That's what the calf muscles look around here for those who are true hikers. They scale all the 4,000 footers, all 95 of them, and they have massive calf muscles, and I'm very envious. Number, so how you spot a flatlander is they don't have those muscles. Number two way to spot a flatlander is they have a This Car Climbed Mount Washington bumper sticker. Yeah. See, that's special to those who are flatlanders. For those who live around here, it's like, ah. I did that three times last week. <laughs> Number three way you spot a flatlander, David, is they have never seen a moose. And they constantly whine about it. <laughs> Who are you thinking of right now? <clears throat> Number four way to spot a flatlander is they say things like, wow, the ticks are bad this year. <laughs> and can you believe how up and down the weather has been? I used to say stuff like that because I was a flatlander until someone said, yeah, it's the North Country. Get used to it. It's not just this year, buddy. Number five way to spot a flatlander is they wear Eddie Bauer and L.L. Bean instead of Carhartt and Dickies. They're trying. They're trying. Number six way to spot a flatlander is they have a, they have a huge, expensive RV, but they don't know how to maneuver it. Have you seen one of these folks? I saw one of these guys at the gas station the other day, and he was holding the whole place up. Guess where his license plate said. 
Massachusetts. I felt sorry for the poor soul, and yet at the same time I was angry. It's, if you're going to buy a huge, massive RV, you know how to drive it. Number seven way you spot a Flatlander is they still buy their eggs from a grocery store. Yes. Flatlanders are North Country men. They have their own chickens. You know, you got your own five chickens in your kitchen. Whenever you want eggs, you just tell Hank and Hank gives him some eggs. And I don't know. I, I tried. Harriet. Harriet the chicken. Okay. Here's another one. I probably should have put this with the other one, but the way you spot a Flatlander is they drive like a maniac because their license plate says Massachusetts. That was a Freudian right there. That was a Freudian slip. She just threw New Hampshire under the bus. Number nine way you spot a Flatlander is they ask directions to the Can Camagas Highway. Come on. It's not how you say that. How do you say it? Hankamangus. So you know a Flatlander by how they pronounce that one word. Can Camangus. And the final way that you could spot a Flatlander is when there's danger, they call the police instead of Joel White. They'll learn. We've all had to learn. We got Joel on speed dial for whenever there's danger. Today we're going to talk about something similar to that is how do you spot the true Holy Spirit? And we're going to notice that from 1 John. If you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3. And I've encouraged you along the way to read this book. Who has made this a practice of their daily week to read through 1 John once a week? Good job. Several of you out there. Has anyone had done it the entire way through? Read 1 John every week? Okay, David. No, okay, well, at least you're honest. <laughs> I would encourage you to make this a practice, okay? If you haven't even up to this point, make this a practice to read through First John. It's five chapters, it's not that long, and it's really going to bless you. You're going to see many of the themes pop up, and you're going to re be reminded of many of the lessons we've looked at. So make that a practice if you're able to. Let's read our passage today. It's First John 3, 24, and chapter 4, verse 1. John says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. The word of God. And I've reminded you as well through the book of 1 John, the best way to study a book of the Bible is to keep it all together in context. So when you're studying the book of the Bible and you, and you start studying two or three or five verses you can end up making the passage say something it never intended to say. Unless you're careful to remember where John and others have brought us to, that's going to help us understand the text today. So let's do that. Let's read our verses from last week to help us understand the verses that we are talking about this, this morning because we talked about last week about having a reassured heart. And we need to keep that in our pocket as we talk about obedience and the Holy Spirit today. We need to remember what John told us about having a reassured heart. So let's look at our verses from last week. It was 19 to 23 of chapter 3, and John said this, By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. John's going to bring that up again. And we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. 
That's where we're going to come, come out of, and we're going to look at this three-point outline today that we have. It's going to be the importance of obeying, the importance of abiding, and the importance of discerning. John is going to highlight all three of those things in two verses. So that's our outline today. Let's get into number one, the importance of obeying. Okay. Now, last week, in fact, let's read the verse that goes along with this before I get going. He says in this, in verse, the first part of 24, he says, whoever keeps, that's just simply another word for obeys or abides by, whoever keeps his, who is his? Jesus. Commandments abides in God and God in him. Do you notice the correlation between obedience and abiding. John's going to make that connection very strong today, but we're talking about obedience today. Now, last week I spoke about reassurance and received many compliments because we like to hear about reassurance. That's a very comforting thing for our soul. But when a pastor has to get up and share with his audience things that are good for them, that don't necessarily want to hear, sometimes it goes a little differently than that. You can see the picture here of the mom offering the carrot to the little boy who has a donut in his mouth. Uh, that's a real-life picture in our family. Um, it's a struggle every single day. We're trying to let our kids know that there are things that are good for them that don't necessarily taste the best, but we still need to impart upon them good, healthy things. And so John is going to help us today by helping us understand how important it is to obey. And he's going to use this word commandment. It's a word you hear a lot in Christian circles, and you should because they're important. In fact, through the book of 1 John coming up to where we are today, John has already used this word 10 times. He's already used the word commandment 10 times, meaning it's a theme. It's important to where John is taking us. Commandment is very important to what John wants to tell us about our reassurance and about our hope and our validation that we belong to God. But I decided to look up the word commandment in the dictionary, and I'm always um, intrigued by how the world defines a word like commandment. So I got this right off the internet, and it said a commandment is a divine rule. What does the word divine mean? From God. It's a rule from God. It says especially, notice this, one of the Ten Commandments. Another definition, it says a rule to be observed as strictly as one of the Ten Commandments. Do you notice that? In both definitions, it uses this word rule. And when you hear the word rule, it tells you something. It tells you it is mandatory. Now, when I was in school, I used to listen for this word when my teachers were talking. When they would say the word mandatory, I listened. And when they didn't, I didn't. Um, I needed to know what was absolute, I have to do it, and what were things that were optional. Like, you remember that math teacher that would offer you, like, extra time after school if anyone wants to study X? Did anyone do that? Did that guy just sit alone in his office? We got one. We got one back there going, I did. That's probably a good thing. That's probably why I didn't do great in math. But when someone says something is mandatory, what is it telling you? Is it optional? It's not optional. It's a rule. It's a commandment. God, are giving, God is giving us these things called commandments that are not optional. And John is going to bring this up on how important these commandments are because, the, yes, they are things we must abide by, but they're also a tremendous gift to our soul because they bring the validation that we belong to God. So when I bring up this idea in my own home, it usually doesn't go well either. When I bring up the word, I don't usually typically say commandment. Uh, that's a big heavy word for kids. But I do say the word rule, and you must, 
and you have to, and please do. And my children can even pick up on the tone when I'm you know, telling them things that are exciting versus telling them things they just need to do. This is generally the face that I get over here. The child looking just completely bothered by this, that yes, I will do this, I understand, I must do this, Dad, but you, don't, you have to understand as well, I don't want to do it, and I'm gonna let you know that by my attitude. But we don't really like obedience, and we don't really like topics on obedience because they feel to us like chores. At least it did for me growing up. Anytime someone brought up the word commandment or rule, law, anything like that, I kind of looked like this young man because it meant something I had to do that I didn't necessarily want to do. And I think that's our problem. I don't think that's God's problem. I think God is going to do whatever he can to help us change that perspective. But at the end of the day, we need to just understand that our God loves us. And that anything our God calls us to do is good for us, regardless if we see it or not. But John is not going to just leave us there. He's going to hopefully help us understand how important obedience is. So he says this in 24a. He says, whoever keeps or obeys his commandments, notice what he says, abides in God and God in him. Obedience, let's make sure I spell that right. Come on, guys, I know how to spell. Obedience brings abiding. Now, theologically, we can start being bothered by that sentence, that phrase, and go, wow, that really sounds like I'm earning my abidance with God, my relationship with God. And we could start changing the words to make it say something different. But I want to be, I want to caution you against that. Anytime you see something in the Word of God that seems to be plain speaking, let it plainly speak. Let it say what it says. Yes, sometimes even the face value is not exactly what we're supposed to get. But typically speaking, when you're studying the Word of God, if something sounds like what it is, it typically is. And John is telling us, listen, whoever keeps his commandments is the one who abides in God and God in him. We used this word last time when we were talking about a reassurance. We use this word validation. Validation is proving something that you claim to be true. That's what John is helping us understand today. But by obeying, we have this tremendous validation that we are in God and God is within us. And we're going to talk about that spirit here in a little bit. Here's what John is not saying. I want to be very clear because he is not contradicting the rest of Scripture. John is not saying obedience is how we gain salvation. He's not saying that. Who is John talking to? He's talking to a church. He's talking to people who have already believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. Hopefully you know by now that to receive salvation, it's very, very simple. You must repent. You must recognize that you're going the wrong way. Stop and turn around. You also must have faith in someone very, very important. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He has made it so simple that a child can receive salvation and faith in Jesus Christ simply by understanding that they're going the wrong way. And that if they continue going that way, they will end up somewhere they don't want it to be. And then they understand that there is a Savior. There is someone who has come, got sent by God to forgive our sins, to save us from those sins. And they look at Jesus and realize that he is the Savior, and they believe that he is the Savior. And God has made it that way so that anyone, no matter where you are from, no matter how young or old you are, anyone, and I mean anyone, can trust in Jesus. The gospel is so simple, and it's made simple on purpose. We are not to complicate the gospel. Simply understand that he is the Savior and that I need him. 
and that wherever I'm going right now without him is wrong. And I should turn around and I should start following my Savior because his way is right. John is not saying that by our obedience we gain that relationship with Jesus Christ because that would make Jesus less valuable and us more valuable. And John is not saying that. He's also not saying this, that perfect obedience is required for eternal safety. He's not saying that. Because we need to remember the language that John has used along the way. In 1 John chapter 3, he said this. He said, little children, let no one deceive you. Notice the language. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. He doesn't say whoever perfects righteousness. He doesn't say whoever obeys perfectly gets to go to heaven. He says whoever practices righteousness is validated that they are righteous as God is righteous. Now, how do we even understand that? Because does that mean my practice of obedience is, e is equal to God's perfect righteousness? Is that what John is saying? No, that's not what he's saying. Because that's not true. My attempts at righteousness and God's perfect righteousness are not even close to the same. What he's telling us, though, is that if we practice righteousness, it is validated that we belong to Jesus. And guess who is perfectly righteous? Jesus Christ is perfectly righteous. So when we practice righteousness, it is a validation that we belong to the one who is perfectly righteous, and he has gifted us his righteousness in full so that we can stand before a holy God with not one single blemish, not one flaw, not one sin against us, not because we did it perfectly, but because Jesus did it perfectly and because he is our advocate. He is our propitiation. He is the one that died so that we could find righteousness with God. So John's saying there's a validation. If you practice righteousness, you belong to Jesus, and therefore you are righteous as God is righteous. That's an amazing truth. That could be a whole sermon right there. That is something to chew on. So John, again, is not telling us that we need perfect obedience in order to get to heaven. But there is a difference, and I, I believe we should understand this, and we probably do understand this already, that there's a difference between coming to Jesus and abiding in Jesus. Because coming to Jesus, I told you, is very, very simple, and it was made simple on, on purpose. You simply must have repentance and faith. It's so simple a child can understand it. But coming to Jesus requires only these two things. It doesn't matter how badly you've been. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter your understanding of the word of God or how long you've been in church. Anyone can receive salvation. Anyone here who does not have a relationship with God can receive salvation this very moment, this very day. Today can be the day of your salvation by recognizing that you are not and Jesus is everything you need. And therefore, you put your trust in him. But when someone says they are a Christian, generally speaking, you have to take that person at their word. Because there's really no way to validate that process externally. If someone says to me, regardless of their age, I have repented and trust in Jesus Christ, I should and all of us should assume that is true. That you have trusted in Jesus Christ simply by their words. Because Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that he is God, he will, you have been saved. And so it's that simple. But abiding in Jesus is very different because we can authenticate that. And we should authenticate that. Not just for other people that we love, but also for ourselves. We can authenticate the fact that we are actually in Jesus. And this process does require obedience to Jesus. 
If we are saying today that we abide in Jesus and it does not equal obedience, then we need to question the entire process. Because abiding in Jesus will always produce obedience to Jesus. Because when you abide in Jesus, you love Jesus. When you love Jesus, you want to obey Jesus. If we are saying we abide in Jesus, we belong to Jesus, and there is no obedience, or there's no desire for obedience, we just want our hands stamped, we want to get into heaven, and we want to get back to our life, that's problematic because that is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is we fall in love with Christ and we say from a pure heart, I love you and I want to serve you and I want to do what pleases you. And that's when Jesus says to us, great, let me teach you what that looks like. And therefore, we must have that validation that we are abiding in Jesus Christ. Now, he brings up this word commandments and we've done this a couple times already, so I won't linger here too long. But I've tried to illustrate this idea of these commandments because there are commandments all over the Bible. And when someone says, obey my commandments, I've had this question before and I've said, which ones? What commandments am I supposed to obey? In the Old Testament, in the Jewish practice, there were 613 commandments. So when Jesus says, obey my commandments, that is a lot of commandments to try to obey. Is that what Jesus is talking about? No, I don't believe it is. Because that was for the Jewish people at a specific time. That set of rules and commandments was never supposed to be eternal. So what is he talking about? When Jesus says, obey my commandments, we know there are primarily, how many commandments? There are two. There are two. In fact, Jesus was asked point blank, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, it is very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said right after that, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor. Paul went on to say that the entire law and prophets hang upon these two overarching commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And even love your neighbor is simply a, a way of loving your Lord. By loving his people, by loving his children, you are loving the Lord who created those people. So even two commandments can boil down to one. Simply by loving your neighbor, you are loving your Lord. They're the same thing. But of course we know there's more commandments than just two because there are these things that we've learned ever since we were little called the Ten Commandments. Well, how are we supposed to believe, or how are we supposed to understand these things? Well, if you understand the Ten Commandments and you look at them closely, you can understand very simply with a cursory glance that they are a fleshing out of the two greatest commandments. In fact, the first three are all about loving the Lord. The final six are all about loving who? Loving your neighbor. Take a look at them sometime. You will see that very simply. Top three, love the Lord your God. Last six, love your neighbor. We know there's one in the middle that I forgot. Number four is keep the Sabbath. That is simply in the, in the spirit of that law. Rest your body, rest your mind so that you can get back up the next six days and obey the Lord properly. So you need strength and rest in order to do that. But if you look at the Ten Commandments, that's simply what they are. They're a fleshing out of the two greatest commandments. Sure, sure, we could say love God and love people, and you can try your best at doing that. But until someone really shows you, sits down with you, and helps you understand what that looks like, you might do it improperly. You might not love your Lord and love your neighbor as he intended you to. So by looking at the Ten Commandments, you could understand that a little better, going, oh, that's what he meant by love the Lord and love your neighbor. But then Jesus Christ came to this earth, and Jesus did a bunch of teaching. 
Many sermons, many different opportunities Jesus is teaching, especially the Sermon on the Mount, where in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving a whole bunch of commandments. Well, what is Jesus doing at that time? Is he undoing the old commandments, taking the Ten Commandments away? Is he taking away the two greatest commandments? No, if you pay attention, he's doing something quite intriguing. He's fleshing out the Ten Commandments. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 5, he's saying things like this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit murder, which is legitimately one of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus said to them, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is guilty of murder. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, which is one of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus says, I say to you, whoever lusts after a woman has committed adultery in his heart. So Jesus is not establishing a new set of commandments. He is simply fleshing out the Ten Commandments, which fleshes out the two greatest commandments. It's simply an elaboration of the Ten Commandments so that we can better understand the heart behind those commandments and we can obey them properly. But it doesn't even stop there. Because the New Testament is full of commandments. If you will read the New Testament writers, James, John, Paul, Peter, the others, you will notice that they're giving commandments out willy-nilly. Lots of commandments in all of those books. And what are they doing? Are they making up their new commandments? And hopefully you're seeing a pattern here. They're simply fleshing out Jesus' teachings. They're taking the two commandments and they're fleshing it out what that looks like to follow that and obey that in the proper spirit that Jesus intended. So by learning these commandments, these two, and learning how they're fleshed out, you are learning properly how to love your Lord and how to love your neighbor. And all the commandments boil down to these two greatest commandments. So when you're seeing the commandments in the New Testament, they are simply about loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. And so I don't want us to get so hot and bothered by these term commandments going, man, it's such a long list of things I need to do. It's not really. It's two commandments that we need to understand properly. That's all that it is. So when John says this word commandments, that is what he's referring to. And in 1 John 5, we're going to get to this verse soon. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. But notice this phrase after this. He says his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. According to the mind and the will and the heart of God, his commandments are not burdensome. So if they do feel burdensome, something is off. Something is wrong because God, Jesus said, I have come to give you a light yoke, an easy yoke, one that is different than the Old Testament law, one that is different than the slavery of, of the devil and sin. I've come to give you something that you can do for the remainder of your life. My commandments are not burdensome. Not only do they boil down to two commandments, but I'm going to give you a tremendous help in accomplishing those two commandments. And to me, that is a very freeing thing to know. Because John says this, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Do you need God in your life? Do you need to abide in God in your life? We absolutely do. Therefore, we need to really understand what John is saying here. We don't need to gloss over this and go, yeah, 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 I'll do it when I can. We need to understand that this is an imperative. This is a law, this is a rule, and it's a rule given to us for our benefit so that we can know with certainty that we belong to God and His Spirit is within us. And I think there's illustrations all over the Word of God for this concept, but I think one of the best ones is Noah's Ark. Now, God gave Noah a commandment. He told him to build an ark out of gopher wood, and Noah heard that commandment directly from God. 
So guess what Noah did? He didn't see the flood before he built the ark. That would be silly. He built the ark in faith, knowing that God said the flood is going to come. So Noah obeyed. He did, excuse me, he did what God called him to do, and he built the ark. Now, we know that the, when the flood came, is when the water came, they, they rained for a long time, right? 40 days, 40 nights, it rained upon the earth. The flood kept rising and rising and rising. And Noah ended up being in that ark for about a year. From the beginning of the flood to the time that he was landed on Mount Ararat and was able to get out with his family, he was in the ark about a year. Now, even though Noah built the ark and got inside the ark with his family, it would have been pretty silly during the process of that year to step outside the ark, right? Because what would have happened to Noah and his family if he said, listen, we've had enough. 60 days in, that's plenty. I'm ready to be done. Everyone out. Everyone exit. Get out of the ark. Everyone out. Well, what's going to happen to those, those people and those animals? They're all going to die. Because Noah wasn't just called to enter the ark. Noah was called to abide in the ark. Because the ark was Noah's safety and his family's safety and those animals' safety. So until that process was over, he had to abide, he had to remain, he had to stay where he was, where he belonged. And Noah did, thankfully, and his family abide in the ark. Jesus reiterates this, this concept. It's basically verbatim. If you go to John chapter 15, Jesus says very similar language to what John is teaching us today. So you have to understand, John did not make this up. He got this right out of the mouth of Jesus Christ because Jesus said, listen, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love. That's why we need to take it at face value because John is simply verbatim repeating what Jesus already said. But notice what else what he says. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now that sounds a little strange. He's Jesus Christ. Isn't he God's son no matter what he does or what he thinks or what he says? Yes, he is God's only begotten son. But Jesus came down not just to save us, but to be our example, didn't he? He came to be our model. He came to show us the way. Jesus never asks us to do anything that he didn't first do. So he tells us in John 15, abide in my love by obeying my commandments because that is the exact way that I abided in my Father's love, by obedience to his commandments. I did not just keep claiming, God, you love me because I'm your son. The way that he proved his love to God is by doing what God sent him to do, die upon the cross for the sins of the people. And Jesus, therefore, remained in the love of God. And now he says to us, follow me, follow my example. I did it, you will now do it. This is how you abide in my love. This is for your eternal safety. Because God and Jesus have declared this to us. He says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Once you have the love of God, you have the love of God. It is a covenant. It is a covenant he cannot break and will not break. So once you have the covenant of God, you have his love permanently. The only way that covenant can be broken is by you and I. By the abandonment of our own terms to that covenant and saying to God, I'm out. I don't want this anymore. And walking away from his rich, deep, faithful love. And John does not want that for any of us in this room. He wants us to abide because he wants us to know that not only do we claim to be Christians, but we can validate the fact that we actually are his people so that you know when you lay your head on the pillow at night that you belong to God and he belongs to you. He has given us that validation by asking us to obey. And we've learned this, and I want to remind us of this, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. 
the righteous run to it and are safe. Isn't that a beautiful promise? That you are safe inside the name of the Lord. If you are inside the name of the Lord, nothing can get you. Nothing. The devil himself cannot rip you from the love of God. And he wants to, but he cannot. Because the one who runs to the name of the Lord finds a strong tower, a tower that can never give way. And that is exactly what John is hoping we find. By obedience to his commandments, we find that secure, safe tower forevermore. We've talked about the importance of obeying. Let's now talk about the importance of abiding. Because again, they go very close, hand in hand. He says in verse 24, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And then he says this, And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. We can actually validate the fact that God abides in us. We can validate that we belong to him by our obedience, but we can validate that he belongs to us by the fact that his Holy Spirit is within us. If God's Holy Spirit is within us, we have God. God is ours, we are his. We are in the family of God forevermore because his spirit has been implanted within our souls. That is a beautiful thing to know. Now, what's the best gift you've ever received? Here upon the earth. I know the spiritual answer is what's upon your mind. That's a good thing. But if, think about your past birthdays and Christmases growing up. What was one of the best gifts you ever received? Um, when I was really little, I asked for a BB gun. You guys remember that? Just like Ralphie in the movie. And I got that BB gun. And at first when I opened the toy, I thought, I thought it was a toy gun and I was really disappointed until I heard the BBs rattling and I realized that my parents had actually listened to me and got me the BB gun that I wanted. And I was so happy by that. I just, I just couldn't get the smile off my face that day because I had actually got the gift that I received. But if you had asked me this question, what's the best gift I've ever received here upon the earth? It has to be my family. There's my most recent daughter, Felicity, and my beautiful wife, Janine. And... Of course, I could put them all on the screen, but they'd be really tiny because I have lots of kids. Um, but there, this is an example of how God has blessed me here upon the earth. He's given me a wonderful, beautiful family. And I can see God's love simply by looking at my family. Can you do that as well? But one of the greatest things, if not the greatest thing, that God has ever given us is this person called the Helper. In John 14, 16, Jesus is talking and he says, listen, I'm asking you to obey. I'm commanding you to obey, but don't fret because I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. See, they already had one helper. They had Jesus Christ here upon the earth. Jesus says, when I ask God for this gift, he will bless you with something even more profound. He will gift you the Holy Spirit to reside within you. And if you remember when Jesus went back from earth to heaven, he really bothered the disciples. I mean, imagine being one of the disciples and being with Jesus for three years, and then he dies, and then three days later he's alive again, he's resurrected, and this amazing thing is taking place before your eyes. And then Jesus says, one day I'm going back to heaven. See you later. Going back to heaven. It's your job now, guys. Do what I did. Carry my torch. Continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus here upon the earth. You can imagine what you would feel like as one of those disciples going, this can't happen. Jesus, you can't abandon us. We've had you for the last three years. Any question we had, we went to you. Anytime we didn't understand, you were there. We saw your miracles. We had your strength. And now you're telling us you're going away? And that's what Jesus said to his disciples. It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, when I go away, I will send you the helper. 
and the helper will go not from next to you like I've been for the last three years. He will go inside of you. And the helper is that Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit of Jesus. You will basically go from having Jesus next to you to having Jesus in you for the remainder of your life. Can you imagine how much better this world is going to get when one Jesus multiplies to hundreds and thousands and maybe millions of Jesus? By simply by putting that Holy Spirit within the Christians who follow him. That's what he referred to when he talked about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, at least growing up in my circles, was very mysterious. We almost didn't talk about him so much. Because we knew there were some out in the world, out in other denominations, who were abusing this concept of the Holy Spirit for financial gain. So we felt like the safest thing to do was not really talk about the Holy Spirit, just we know he's there, we'll give you a doctoral lesson every now and then, but let's not talk about him. So it became very mysterious. Well, if you look into the scripture, the Holy Spirit really isn't that mysterious. Now, his way that he works is mysterious, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But the Holy Spirit himself was actually very, very profound. Now, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost arrived, and Jesus' disciples are in Jerusalem waiting for this Holy Spirit to come, and, and then he came. In, verse chapter, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, that's other languages that they didn't know, as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit came, and Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, will come. And just as Jesus says, it's going to take place. So they're there in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes and rests on them, kind of like tongues of fire. And they're suddenly speaking languages and declaring the mighty works of God in languages they didn't know. And it's this really profound scene where people are outside are hearing the Word of God in their own native language, where before they couldn't. And the Holy Spirit came, and he came upon his disciples to do what Jesus Christ had been doing for the last three years. And what Jesus' prophecy came true. Now, you guys remember the show Unsolved Mysteries? Who remembers that show growing up? Still on. Still, still on? Okay. Still, because there's a lot of mysteries, right? You never run out. But I told you, my, my concept of the Holy Spirit growing up was, was a mystery. It was an unsolved mystery. It was someone that I didn't really understand, someone that I felt nervous asking about because I wasn't going to get a clear answer. And there's a couple books out there called The Mystery of the Holy Spirit, and I haven't read those, so I can't comment on them. But um, it is. The Holy Spirit is mysterious, and at the same time, he's not mysterious. Just because something is mysterious in how it works does not mean it's mysterious in its goal or its object. The Holy Spirit is a little mysterious in how it functions. It's like wind. I can't see wind unless I see the effects of wind, correct? But when I see the effects of wind, I start to understand the, the, what wind does, what wind can accomplish. And so is the Holy Spirit. We do not see the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is within us. But when the Holy Spirit acts, it's absolutely profound and impossible not to notice. But I want to clear up a little bit about the Holy Spirit before we move on. Because Jesus acted as if the Holy Spirit was not mysterious at all. He said, listen, if you love me, notice what he says, you will keep my commandments. There it is again. We need to notice the theme. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit will actually take up residence within the soul of the Christ follower, and he will help us do what? Follow Jesus. His objective is very, very clear. He will help us obey the commandments of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that was the entire reason he was sent. To help us do what Jesus said to do. Here's what I need you to do, and here's the power in order to do it. So the objective of the Holy Spirit is crystal clear. We are given the Holy Spirit in order to follow and obey Jesus Christ. Now, I found this quote that maybe you've heard before. It says, everyone wants to save the world, but no one wants to help mom do the dishes. Um, That's probably very true. But I've seen this even in Christian circles. This happens from time to time, is we want to give this grand gesture to God. We feel like by doing something grand and going on some huge missions trip or doing something really profound by writing a massive check or something huge that we can make God really happy. And that's when God says to us, that's not really what I'm looking for. Grand gestures aren't bad, but you know what I want instead? Daily, faithful obedience. And I want it for the rest of your life. I want every single day for you to wake up and say, yes, God, I will. Once again, I'll do it again and again and again. I'll put 100,000 steps of obedience in a row. When someone does that, they are doing exactly what the Lord requires. Exactly what the Lord desires by following his footsteps for the rest of their life. It doesn't look profound to us. When we obey, and sometimes people don't even notice, we obey in the private, sometimes in public, at church, but a lot of private obedience, nobody notices, except one person. Who notices? God. And you put 100,000 of those in a row, we're talking about a profound journey of maturation and sanctification and obedience that one day is going to be truly glorified. And just like you, I fall into this trap that I want to give, I want to find a fast track to that. I don't really want to take 100,000 steps of obedience. I want to do some grand gesture to God and go, here, God, look what I just did. Do you accept that? And God says, I prefer the obedience. I prefer the faithfulness. I want you to do what I've told you to do for the remainder of your life. I want you to follow Jesus. I want you to line up right behind him and do what he says and go the same way he did. And I don't want you to break until you reach the end. It's hard. It's tedious. And it's costly. But when we do that, if we do that, we are doing the most profound thing we could do for God because it came right out of his mouth. If you love me, obey my commandments. There it is. And thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us and help us up that mountain. And I told you, mountain illustrations, North Country, they go together. Um, But it really is a good illustration because we're scaling this really hard spiritual mountain called Christ-likeness, and it's going to take the rest of our lives to summit that mountain. And we need a profound helper, don't we? We need someone who has the strength of God, divine power to match the divine rule that he gave us. Thankfully, God has given us that power. And the way that we can validate that God is with us is by that power. If I can obey the commandments of God, guess what? The Holy Spirit is with me. Because I am weak. I am fragile. I am selfish. If you take the Holy Spirit out of my life, I can neither obey the commandments nor do I want to obey the commandments. But with that Holy Spirit, I can and I can put 100,000 steps of obedience in a row. Glory to God.
So Jesus again says, when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the mouth, excuse me, who proceeds from the Father, he will do what? Bear witness about. Do you notice the Holy Spirit's agenda is very, very clear? Make much of Jesus. Highlight Jesus. Remind you what Jesus said. Remind you what Jesus did. Remind you of the commandments. He has not come with a different agenda. He has come with the same agenda, only to teach us from the inward out. Do what Jesus said. Do what Jesus said. He will bear witness about me, Jesus said. Meaning, you know you have the Holy Spirit when it's all about Jesus. Because that's the Holy Spirit's objective. That's why he has come. He's mysterious in how he works, but his objective is very, very clear. Highlight Jesus and remind us of the commandments. And he does that very well. And when Jesus got baptized, this is a really cool scene. John the Baptist was able to baptize Jesus Christ. I can't even imagine that. But Jesus himself, again, doesn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't going to do. So Jesus was baptized, and immediately he went out from the water, up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Now, if you Google the Holy Spirit, almost every picture is a picture of the dove. And it's a little confusing because he said the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. It didn't say the Holy Spirit is a dove. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, but he descended on Jesus like a dove would descend. And he came to rest on Jesus. And then a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Immediately upon the Holy Spirit's arrival, what happens? Listen to Jesus. See how clear his objective is? As soon as he happens, he happens to come, his objective is made known and very clear. And this happened a couple times, where a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Don't look to the right or to the left. Simply set your eyes upon Jesus Christ. And wherever he went, you go the exact same pathway because Jesus knows where he's going. Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus came directly from the Father. And Jesus is where today? In the kingdom of heaven, sitting right next to God. If we want things to go well for us, we find Jesus and we follow him as closely as we possibly can. And the Holy Spirit will help us do that. Therefore, John says, whoever keeps his commandments, he abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And that's a lot to chew on already. But in this world that we live in, there are some stormy weather. And I don't mean physically. There's some spiritual stormy weather out there. Right now among us and in the days coming that we can't even see. And therefore, as a reminder, we need a safe, strong tower in order to be inside when that chaos begins. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit has reminded us today we have that tower. We simply need to abide in Him. And we will by obeying His commandments. Now, we've talked about the importance of obeying and the importance of abiding. Let's quickly talk about the importance of discerning. Because this is where John says in the first verse, this is why I think these go together so well. Uh, yet the chapter divisions in, a book, in the book of the Bible are not inspired, okay? They came from man. They don't mean they're wrong, but we have to hold them very loosely. So I think 1 John 4, 1 goes really well with 1 John 3, 24, because then John says this phrase, Beloved, do not believe. Can you believe the word of God would say something like that? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits 
to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do you notice the spiritual war? If there was one Holy Spirit and you either had him or you didn't have him, that would be easy. I, I can't obey. I get the Holy Spirit and I can obey. But we know there's an enemy. And he is an enemy of lies and forgeries. And so one of his best tools is to find false spirits and hand them out willy-nilly. So that you become spiritual, but that spirit is not from God. So John told us to do something. He said, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. You guys remember when you were tested in school? Anyone hate that? Anyone hate being tested? I hated being tested. I'd rather write an essay or a term paper or something like that than be tested. But it's interesting that God tells us or commands us even to test the spirits. Test the spirits that we hear in our own mind and heart to make sure that they are from God. Because if they're a forgery spirit, they have nothing good that they are bringing to us. They are simply sent for evil purposes. But what does he mean by test the spirits? How do we test the spirits and what does that look like? Well, I thought about this for a while. I'm going to give you a few ways. I'm going to race through these a little bit so you can write them down and think about them later. But one way we could test the spirits to see whether they are from God is what do they tell us? What do they say to us? When you, I don't mean audibly necessarily, but when you messages are sent to your brain and to your heart, sometimes they're from the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian and sometimes they're not. How do you know which one is actually the Holy Spirit? Well, you can tell very easily by what do they say. What do they tell us? Because again, I told you the objective of the Holy Spirit is made very, very clear. He will highlight Jesus. So if the Holy Spirit is within you, he's going to make much of Jesus, and he's not really going to break from that. He's going to remind you what he said. He's going to remind you what he did. He's going to remind you to open up your Bible. He's going to remind you to go to church. He's going to remind you to get clear, near Jesus as closely as you can and follow him as best as you can. So if you're hearing things that tell you the opposite or slightly different than that, that's when you should question whether you are listening to the proper spirit. Simply what do they tell me? What are they reminding me to do? I told you we have to go fastly through these. But number two, how do the spirits speak? How do they speak? Because I don't know if you're like me, but I have a convoluted, complex mind. I feel like my, my thoughts sometimes are racing all over the radar. And sometimes I feel very confused. And that's one good indicator that I'm probably not listening to the right spirit, is when my mind is all over the place. Because one thing the spirit is really good at doing is order. He is, God is not a God of confusion. So when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it's a very clear directive. Do this, or remind you of this, or remember Jesus. The, the directive is very clear when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. When, the whole, when some other spirit is speaking to you, it's typically, it's typically confusion. You start to second guess a lot. You start to question things you heard. You start to run around to and fro, doing a bunch of different things, thinking that you're spiritual. And you start to lose track of the person that the Holy Spirit was meant to tell you about. One of the best ways for you to understand if you are listening to the Holy Spirit is what is coming out of your life. Because Paul brought this up in Galatians chapter 5. He said, listen, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of the best ways to test the spirits is to see what's pouring forth from your life. If the opposite of those fruits are coming out of your life, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit or someone else is speaking to you. Because the Holy Spirit will pour forth from your life the same things that came from Jesus' life. 
If you're following Jesus, the same things will come forth from your life. And so we can test the spirits that way by what is coming from us. Here's another question is, where do they guide us? Where are the Holy Spirit's guiding us? And I've seen this one very, very clearly. Now, let's use our mountain illustration again, okay? Um, this is a really tall mountain called Mount Everest. And people are journeying up the summit. Well, one of the best ways to understand what the, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit is what is the Holy Spirit telling you to do? Because he might say this. You've done enough. You've done enough. Enough climbing. You've climbed a lot. You've climbed a lot. I mean, look at all the climbing you've done over the course of your life. Take a break. Take it easy. Let others climb for a while. Just stop where you are and, and settle down. Now, it's not always that point blank, is it? But it kind of translates that way, going, let's just take it easy for a while. Let's stop. Or possibly, let's go back down the mountain. Let's go revisit some people or some sins that we used to. Let's go check things out we used to have in our life. The Holy Spirit would always push us where? Up. Always. Now, yes, we need Sabbaths. Okay, we need rest. Rest and Sabbaths come from God. But we also need to continue to ascend the mountain until we see who? Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will always remind us to keep ascending. Keep ascending. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been in the Christian race, the Holy Spirit will say, continue, continue, forward, forward. You're not there yet. You're doing good. Keep going. Up the mountain. Up the mountain until you summit and you see the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, you can test the Holy Spirit by who is the focus, and we've talked about this already. But we see this in our culture right now. Right? Other things are the focus in our culture. Worry, anxiety, fear, self, sin. When the Holy Spirit comes, again, his directive is very, very clear from God. Highlight Jesus. Forget about everything else. Your solution to all of those things has always been the same person and will always be the same person. Your objective is clear as a Christian, and your goal is clear, and the power that comes to you is from the same person. Follow Jesus. When the Spirit is speaking to you, that is the best thing he's telling you. I have nothing new to give you. I have only to remind you of what was once your ally in this battle. Follow Jesus until the end. So John says, listen, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because we're in a spiritual war. And if they're not from God, who are they from? He hates us. I think the devil loves false religion far more than atheism. Far more. Because when we have false religion, when people claim to be spiritual, but they're not wholly spiritual, they often think they're fine. In fact, they think they're better than fine. They think they're enlightened. They think they're of God. They think they're going to heaven. And we are reminded in Scripture that the, that the devil is not a, what you see in Halloween, okay? He's not dressed in a red costume um, with a pitchfork and a pointy tail, Okay. If the devil looked like the devil, he's not a very good devil. So what does he do? He masquerades as an angel of light. He wants to let you know that he has something good for you, also good for you, and very similar to Jesus. And he wants to give it to you, because free of charge. He's so nice, the devil. He wants to give us all of his gifts free of charge. 
We can have whatever we want. And it's very spiritual. It's very close to Jesus. He masquerades as, as an angel of light. And the, and the scriptures warn us of the devil to say, listen, be careful. Be very careful who you're listening to. Because the devil is the father of lies. He has spiritual to give you. I don't know why that's not showing up. But he has spiritual to give you. But if it's not the proper spiritual, it is not going to do anything well for you, anything good for you. And so we have to be very careful that the gifts that we're receiving are actually gifts from God himself, from the Holy Spirit himself. And all of his gifts will have the same person's name on them. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And not even his name only, but exactly what he said and exactly what he did. You can validate it by looking into your Bible and you could say, yes, the Holy Spirit taught me that. The Holy Spirit was telling me that because I am reminded of what Jesus already said. And that is a beautiful thing to know. In Revelation 12, this is how it speaks about the devil. The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. And notice how he tags him, the deceiver of the whole world. He is an ancient deceiver. He has been deceiving from the beginning, and he will deceive until the very last moment. And we need to be very careful that we're not listening to the deceiver and that we're listening to the Holy Spirit of God. And sadly, this is what we have in our midst. A lot of times, we have wolves that are masquerading themselves as sheep. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And he says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. They look like friends. They act like friends, at least for a while. But their agenda is very clear pull you away from Jesus. Highlight anything else. Because when they do, and when you lose sight of Jesus, they hurt you. And that is their objective, to harm you, to harm your soul. By getting you out of the safe tower, by getting you out of the ark, and getting you back into danger. And the only way they can do that is through deception. And Littleton is a very spiritual town, isn't it? So is lots of New England. Very, very spiritual. You walk around the bookshelves, the bookstores, You'll see all kinds of spirituality in our midst. So therefore, it must be good. It's spiritual, and God is spiritual. See how close it is? But it's not. Because it's evil. And evil is also spirit. And if it's not reminding us of Jesus Christ, if it's not pointing us to the scriptures, if it's not pointing us to church, if it's not pointing us to the commandments, we need to really question is it from God? And if it's not from God, it's not there to do me any good at all. And I need to get far away from it. And the best thing I need to do is get in the safe, strong tower of Jesus Christ. Because there is a deceiver in our midst. that He's very, very good at his job. He learns you. He learns culture. He learns what you want. He learns your appetite. He learns your pressure points. And then he offers you exactly what you want. Only it's not what Jesus said. And if what we want and what Jesus said are different, go with what Jesus said. It's better for you than what the devil is going to offer you. Because he's a trickster and he's a deceiver. So John reminds us again, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us that we can validate when we obey the commandments. Because when we obey the commandments, the Lord is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. And you could only do that by the strength of the divine. That is a great validation. It's a great gift for us. See, it's not just take out the garbage. 
because I want some help in this. God is saying, listen, I want you to know that you belong to me. I want you to know that I'm your father. I want you to know that you're headed to the kingdom of heaven. And the way to do that is by the validation that you can obey Jesus. And when you obey Jesus, certainly you belong to God. But because who else would do that than those born of God? And the worst thing you can be in this world is untethered, floating about on your own without God, without Jesus, trying to make it up as you go, trying to listen to the voices in your head, trying to hear the media reports and put it all together and go, I think I'm on the right track. I seem to be with a lot of other people who think the same thing, but you're not tethered to Jesus. And one of the best things that ever said about Jesus Christ comes out of the book of Hebrews. This is a beautiful, beautiful truth that says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The best place to be in this life and any life is tethered and anchored to Jesus. Because when we're tethered and anchored to Jesus, we are tethered and anchored to the love of God for the rest of eternity. And not even the devil himself can remove us. So the question for us today is, where are we in this spiritual war? Floating aimlessly out there, considering anything that sounds good, or are we tethered? Are we anchored to the one who has been the Lord and who will be the Lord for the remainder of our life? For his glory, for our benefit is the lesson or the theme of 1 John. I think it's very easy to see God's glory in this passage because God's name is glorified when we submit to his plan of depending upon his Holy Spirit to obey his Son. When we get to heaven, is anyone going to be patting themselves on the back? Wow, did I do a great job. Wow, was I really smart. Look where I came to. No, no one's going to be able to do that. Everyone is going to go look at God and say, God, without your Holy Spirit, without the, the person of Jesus Christ, there's not a chance that I'm here today. Glory to you, God. Cast your crowns to God and to Jesus Christ. But we are also tremendously benefited when we remain tethered to the love of God. And that is exactly what John is hoping for. He's not saying, listen, obey. I know you don't like it, but do it anyways. He's saying, obey because it's your validation. Obey because it's your tether to God. When you obey, you are his and he is yours. Our application before we close is very simple. There is a spiritual war raging on, and we'll talk about it again next week. It's raging on all around us. And it's getting worse, getting more severe, and could bring persecution to our doors sooner than we think. But we have an ace up the sleeve. If we obey, if we abide in, if we discern the proper spirit, the only hope of the one true Christ through obedience to Jesus every word, we will be in the safe tower. And no matter what happens outside the doors of the safe tower, we are safe. We are secure. And it's all thanks to Jesus. Spiritual War Part 1. We will look at Part 2 next week. Would you close in prayer? Father, you are good. You are a good, good God. You love us tremendously. Thank you for the reminder, Father, of how much you love us and what you did because you love us. You sent us Jesus, the Savior, to save us from our sins, from the death, from the devil that was enslaving us but you also send us these beautiful commandments, Father, that are a gift to us if we see them properly. And not only did you send us the Holy Spirit, or not only did you send us the commandments, but you sent us the Holy Spirit, which is the power to obey, the power to follow Jesus, the power to get up a mountain we have no business climbing. 
And Father, we give you all credit and glory for that. I pray for Crossroads Church that we would continue to set our mind and our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. And we thank you for that reminder today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing again.